Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Dennis Kozloff. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. All right, uh, we're continuing this series called Mind Transformation. And for those of you who don't know me, I'm Dennis Kozlov, I'm an associate pastor here, and I speak with funny English because English is not my uh, native language. And when I get excited, I butcher your language. I'm sorry. But you seem to be okay with that. That's, that's good, good, good. Well, anyway, this, this series is the shortest one. It's only three messages. So we can't really go into depth into those things. It's more of an introduction to some of you, but to many of you, it's, it's a reminder And I've been struggling with this message because I knew what the Lord put on my heart to talk. (laughs) And I realized that those kind of messages are not presented often today. Well, I hope I intrigued you enough, but let let me start. So, okay. Last month, two months almost, right? We've done the series of messages called The Gospel of God, correct? How many of you have listened to those? How many of you have received something from those? That was an amazing time. Very challenging for Neil and me. Very difficult to work with the text that Paul created for us to dig into as the gospel. So we went through chapters 1 through 8, and it was a presentation of the gospel. Then Paul took a break for three chapters, uh, 9, 10, and 11, to explain the role of Israel and Gentile believers and Israel believers and all of that. And then he jumps right back to the place when he finished the presentation of the gospel. The gospel is translated as good news. So whatever the message that is dominates Christian preaching should be good news, should be joyful news to you. But then Paul says, in light of what I just presented to you in the previous eight chapters, and he presented so much, he said, in the light of this grace, in the, light, in the light of this love, in the light of this mercy, in the light of this amazing, amazing, amazing love, therefore, you do something. So, and it's pretty much the logic of Paul in every, in every epistle, in every book that he writes. He makes, sure, he makes sure he presents the gospel, the good news of God to you, of God's grace. He makes sure you see it. He makes sure you understand it. He makes sure you identify with this. And only then he says, therefore. And then he begins to talk, how is it that we are supposed to live in the light of this revelation? The biggest problem that churches have been doing in in century, many churches uh, made this mistake of emphasizing and overemphasizing Christian living without presenting Christian gospel clearly. This is, I cannot underestimate the importance of this connection. The Christian living should never be presented apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Christian living should never be presented apart and and disconnected from the goodness of God manifested in, in the gospel. Never, ever. There's no Christian living. There's no true Christian living without Christian believing first. Christian living flows out of Christian believing. Christian living is an outcome, is an issue. 
is a response to what you see on the cross of Jesus Christ and in his resurrection. Can I hear an amen to that? So, but today's message is a therefore message. So please, if you're not rooted in the gospel of God's goodness, if you've been raised in legalistic religious environment, don't take this message too seriously to your heart. I want you to be rooted in the gospel. That's why in this church we will always, we will never graduate from preaching the gospel. But I'm, I'm going to, but there is therefore messages too. And this message, and actually this series of messages is a therefore messages. You see the gospel. That's what you need. That's the best response. That's the most proper response to the gospel. And in August, we'll be preaching about biblical relationship, what the Bible teaches about how we, how we build our relational life in the light of the gospel. So I, I hope I made this connection clear. The gospel first, Christian living then. Next, right? Okay. So if your Christian living is not doing great, check your gospel meter. Your gospel meter might be low. You're running on the low gospel understanding. Yeah. So this is therefore a message. I made this disclaimer. Let me start by reading the passage that Neil last time. Romans 12. And that's exactly what Paul uses this phrase, therefore. There's a big therefore that serves like a bridge from the gospel of God to the practical side of application of the gospel of God. Christian living. So in light of all the things that he said in chapter Chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. He says, therefore, and let's read it. Romans 12, 1, 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, sisters are included, <laughs> by the mercies of God. Actually, the better translation, in the light of the mercies of God that I just presented to you. Another translation says, Having your eyes wide open to the mercies of God revealed in the gospel. So he says, by the mercies of God, specific mercies of God, specific things that I talked about, I, I appeal, I beg, I beseech you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I'll read it slower once again, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God? What is good? What is acceptable? What is perfect? That's, that sounds so good. I might actually sit down and say amen and let's go home. <laughs> Seriously, it's, it's a nutshell. There's a whole of Christian living right there. So eight, first eight chapters is true Christian believing. In these two verses, in a very concentrated, pithy, succinct form, the whole of Christian life there. We see a decision there. Your decision, not God's decision, to save you from everything that you need to be saved from. That's God's decision. And he made it. He didn't even consult with you. Praise the Lord. 
But this is not something that God is supposed to do. It is something that you're supposed to do. He, sa he says, I appeal to you. I beseech you. I beg you. I implore you. That's an appeal to your will, not to your feelings, not to your emotions, not to your sentiments. That's a decision that you make. And there's a decision to make. What is the decision? To present your body. The body stands here not just for your physical body, although it's very important. The body includes your whole being. That represents you. Where your body is, you are, right? How your body spends the body's money, that's how you spend your money. All of your complexities, spirit, soul, and body, are in the body right now. So that's, that's representative of you. So what, what, is the what is he calling us to make a decision? To, ma to, de to make a decision to, to make yourself, to present yourself as a sacrifice. That, that doesn't sound like fun, actually, if you think about it. So I'm going to talk about it today. To present your body as a sacrifice. What's the ongoing process that is in this verse? Transformation of your mind. Renewal of your mind. Transformation, actually, not of your mind, of your whole being. Sometimes even including experiencing something in your bodies. But it starts with your deliberate decision to renew your mind, to change your mind, to think differently. Differently from what? From the majority of people in the world. He says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. Word transform is an interesting word. It's a Greek word, metamorphoso, uh, I believe. It's the same word that we use when we talk about the, a little caterpillar, a worm transforming into a different kind of uh, quality of living. A butterfly in the cocoon in the chrysalis. Paul uses it only twice in the New Testament. First time he uses it here, therefore. The second time he uses it, we are being transformed when we, with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord and we are transformed into the same image of glory that we be we're beholding. Only two times. And that has to do with a Christian living and with the outcome of a Christian living. So... I actually brought this uh, translation here. J.B. Phillips' translation of these verses sounds, uh, gives it under a different angle. Let's li listen to that. It's not on the screen, so I'll, I'll just read it. With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, to give him your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him and acceptable by him. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good do you see the process here do you see that without this process the practical applicable will of God for your life is a mystery you just you're blind you're just trying to figure your life out. You don't know what God is doing, basically. You have glimpses of good things because you're a Christian. You're a child of God. The Spirit of God lives in you. And when you begin to hear the gospel, joy comes, hope comes. But in the many practical areas of life, you are dumb and blind. Because you haven't done this therefore thing. You go with the flow. What the flow? The world. The world is a great influence that we might not notice. It's like being in a, in a boat in a big wide river. 
and if you stop paddling and you just relax for a minute, you think nothing's happening. Things happening. You're being drifted away from the place you were. And you might not even notice that. That's how world works. That's why this is a call, deliberate call to resist something in your life. To resist the world. And that's, that's a thing. Not many churches today preach about resisting the world. I'm sorry. And I'm going to try to do it today with you. If you get offended, that's fine. Just don't beat me physically. I don't like physical pain. But if you decide that's the only measure you, well, then prepare to be fight, fought back. Because I'm still a carnal Christian. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay. So, well, I'm, you know me. You heard many messages by me. I'm not a big fan of human decisions and human determination. Because usually they fail. But there is a place for legitimate mature decisions in your life as a Christian. And we can see it here, as Paul says. So... The transformation, really, transformation of your being begins in a significant measure when this change happens. When you make those milestone decisions for the Lord. You don't do it because people stirred up emotions in you as preachers. You do it because you have seen something. And you realized in the light of what I've seen, I need to make some serious decisions in my life before the Lord. Because I now know how to enter into a fuller measure of His will in my life. You see, when you make yourself a sacrifice, you make yourself sacred. How do you make yourself sacred? You detach yourself from the thing that is called the world in there. And that means before that moment, you just go to your work as you. But after that, everywhere where your body goes, this place becomes holy. Because a holy Thing of the Lord, a holy person of the Lord, a holy temple of the Lord, a holy tabernacle, moving one, a mobile one, is coming to that place. And it becomes different. You can expect changes. That's exciting. But there's a price to pay. I hate those messages when people talk about pain, uh, sacrifices, but it's in the Bible, so I have to preach it. I'm sorry. Oh, Neil, oh, man, I owe him 25 cents, I guess. He said, don't, don't ever say sorry in the middle of your sermons. <laughs> but it's a different kind of sorry, right? I don't know. You vindicate me to him. So, so here's the fact. There are millions of Christians, and they're truly born again. They're children of God. But very few of them experience reality of God's presence in their life as an ongoing thing, as something that marks their life. They have glimpses. They have moments. And it's wonderful. It's good. And I believe the reason for that is exactly because they haven't crossed that bridge of their four. They haven't crossed that bridge. You know, this call is not a call to salvation. In this church, Neil and I, we, we believe salvation is a gift. You cannot deserve it. You cannot earn it. You cannot give it and take away. If you call on the name of the Lord Jesus, you are saved. You're a genuine child of God. Nobody's going to snatch you from his hand. But it doesn't guarantee the fullness of your walk with life in your, in your personal situations. It doesn't. That's what the Bible says. You know, it's a call actually to join Jesus' ministry on this earth. 
Have you noticed that the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, has two volumes? Volume one is Jesus walking around. Volume two, his disciples walking around. Do you know it's like there's no end of book one and the beginning of book two? It's the same thing, the same story. That's you're in my calling. We're called to really become the body of Christ, to join the ministry of Jesus on this earth, but not as an earthly person in the human physical body, but as a resurrected spirit that works through our human bodies. That's why we make ourselves a sacrifice. All right. Okay. I'm getting strong on you. I'll, I'll dial it down. So throughout the church history, teachers of the Bible, preachers, famous teachers of the church, including Apostle Paul, they compared, they compared the story of the book of Exodus when the children of Israel were in slavery in Egypt with our story as Christians. Do you remember the story of the book of Exodus? How many of you read the book of Exodus? Very good book. Very fun to read. A lot of action there. You can, you can read it. You can watch a movie too, but the reading is a little better. Uh, so they were oppressed. They were in slavery. They were not really a nation. There was a big crowd of Jewish people together thinking and knowing something about the God of their forefathers. But then they were oppressed so much they cried out to him and God came to deliver them. And he did it with the mighty works of power. He did a lot of miracles. He took them out of that slavery. He saved them. Praise the Lord. Bunch of people. Some people argue until today whether it were like tens of thousands or millions. But a lot of people. A lot of people. Many, many Springfields. Okay. So they were taken out of Egypt and God wanted them to be saved from Egyptian slavery, oppression of slavery, into something else. What was he planning? What was his intention for that? The promised land. The land that was so good for them. I mean, they experienced a lot of miracles, breakthroughs, outpourings, whatever you call it. But the goal was to enter into the land of blessing when they don't need the breakthroughs anymore. They just live in the fullness. When the rivers flow with the milk and honey, it says. When they live in the houses, beautiful houses that they haven't built. When they reap and harvest things that they haven't planted. That's grace, people. That's a beautiful grace. But listen, here's what happened. From point A, Egypt. Point B, Israel. It's only a journey of 11 days long by foot. How long did it take them? 40 years. 11-day trip turned out to be 40 years I don't know what to call it. And not only so, the sad side, most of them did not make it. Only two, two, two people from the original group. Two, right? Two people from the original group and the new generation of people that were born in between those two spots. They entered. Even their leader, Moses, did not enter. And that's a sad story of the state of most of the Christians today. I'm sorry. And most of us. That's the story of me. I don't think I'm in the promised land yet. I see it. I'm very close to it. I smell the fruit, man. I even, I even went with a group a couple of times and grabbed some of this milk and honey and took some of those huge grapes. And it's amazing. And I know they're available for now, for Springfield, for 2022. If we just learn how to get this land, how to get into this land. And today I'm talking about how to get into this land. I'm sorry. I'm getting excited. Second time, 25, 50 cents. Okay. I'll make myself broke by the end of the sermon. <laughs> yeah. 
So I want you to remind, uh, I want to remind you the, the thing that Neil and I both repeatedly re reiterated through our last series, that there is a way of advancing in Christian life outlined by Paul. And what is the way? The way is to know, to know the truth, to know the gospel, to know the facts. And that's why we're preaching here. That's why you're coming here. That's why you're reading Christian books. To know and then to see. No is not enough. You need to look in those things that you know to an extent when you begin to see it, like 3D. You begin to see Christ crucified. You begin to see that he really was resurrected. And then it says, reckon yourself. That's an old English word that was used in the King James Bible. In most of the modern translation it says, uh, consider yourself in line with this or like View yourself. Understand yourself. So that's a step that you take. Reckon yourself. View yourself in the light of the gospel. What does it mean? It means to appropriate the gospel. It's not a theory anymore. It's, it's something that you appropriate by faith. You say, it's not, Jesus didn't just die for sinners. He died for me. My sins are forgiven. My sins are forgiven. Not just the world's sins. My sins are forgiven. I'm declared as innocent. There is no more condemnation coming from God to me. And I'm not under God's wrath. I'm under God's grace. That's the results of the gospel, right? You appropriate it. You reckon yourself. And then the next step comes. Therefore, present yourself. That's when you already began to experience the goodness of God through the gospel. But you want more. We've been singing today. I want to be a little closer, right? I want to be a little. I want to know your heart. That's when you begin to hear those prayers in your heart. That means the time has come for you to make some big decisions in your life. To consecrate yourself. That's another old-fashioned word that you don't hear much today. Consecration. Consecrate yourself. All right. So Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And I'll let Neil to finish strong next week about the renewal of the mind. But I want to remind you about the world thing. I know a lot of you know that. But I want to remind it to you. What is this world thing? Why is that? Well, in the New Testament, the word world, cosmos, is used three times. Two times in negative meaning, negative sense, and one time in, in very positive sense. First one is a, it's a universe created by God and reflecting His wisdom and power. That's a good positive sense. You can actually consider the world, see the intricate design of the world and receive a revelation about God's power and His wisdom. Do that often. Go to the nature. Don't stay at home on your sofa. Just enjoy the nature. Look, look documentaries about how cells are designed. That's amazing or something like that. I love those things. The second one, it's all human inhabitants of the world. The New Testament calls cosmos all the humans that live in this, on this earth. And that's a good positive sense. What is this sense? God says, for God so loved the world that he gave only begotten son. God loves the world. But then there is a strong negative sense. There is a third meaning. And I'm going to dwell on that a little bit so that we would, we would be reminded and refresh in our memory. This third sense, the world is an ungodly world system that God never created. 
It began to develop from the moment the first people have sinned and fallen short from the glory of God. And it continues until today. And that's the power that constantly exercises influence on us as Christians. And that's, this is something that we need to learn to deliberately resist in our life and to say no to. So I'm not prone to believe conspiracy theories. Especially in a couple of last years, I've met so many conspirologists, semi-professional or like whatever, and I've been presented so many different Conspiracy theories, honestly, I'm a little skeptical. I'm not buying them. But there is one conspiracy theory that is exposed by the Bible as true, and I have to run with this. The world as the whole system is actually, is not a hodgepodge of events, relationships, collusions, collusions, yeah, colliding, convolutions, whatever. It's, it's not a random sporadic development of hodgepodge that we call human history. It's a system. If you read the Bible from the beginning, it's a system. And this system actually is not run sporadically. There is a rhyme and method behind it. There is somebody very intelligent behind it. And the Bible calls it the enemy of God, Satan. Neil reminded us last time that we have an enemy. That's, this is the biggest thing that he uses. The system called the world. It's organized, it's systematized mode of existence of human beings that is anti-God in its very nature. And it's run by somebody intelligent and full of hatred towards God and towards you. Jesus said about him in John 14, 30. He's talking to his disciples right before his arrest. And he's saying, I will no longer talk. I will no longer talk much with you. For the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim in, on me. So he identifies someone who rules this world. And it's not him. It's not his father, God. It's somebody else. That's the reality of the enemy. So I, I wish I could tell you only like a rosy story. But there is an enemy. And he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And he wants to control and suppress you through the system called world. And that's what I'm talking about, talking about the world. So Jesus prayed to, to God the Father for all the believers who would believe in him. So that they would be in this world just like he was in this world. Satan would have no claim on those people. Let's read this prayer of Jesus. Chapter 17. He prays and his praise is kind of an agony because he knows he's going to the cross. And he prays this way. I have given them your word and this word and this world has hated them because, listen to this, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. That's the one that was just mentioned, ruler of the world. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. You see what Jesus is praying? How he was in this world, he wants us to be in this world. He says, and he prays for us to be sanctified. Sanctified means to detached, to be separate, to be not intrinsically integrated into the system. That's the call of therefore. Some of you are not there yet. And some of you think, what is he talking about? Let me hear something good, how God, my, how God loves me. 
I will tell you that, and I'm telling you that every Sunday. I've been telling you that for the last four years, I think, and I will continue to tell you that. But in light of that love, as soon as you begin to see it, you know there is more in your life is to, to do, to, to be an answer to Jesus' prayer. I want to give you a definition that Neil gave last Sunday about what the world is. The world is a system of relationship between people that offers people many different ways to find meaning, value, purpose in life independently from God and in rebellion against Him. I'll read it again. The world is a system of relationship between people and the system offers them ways to find meaning, value, and purpose in life independently from God and in rebellion to Him. That's what the world is. So the call for us is to be the same way as Jesus. You know what? When I, when I begin to understand what, what, uh, what the world is, have you, how many of you have seen the movie The Matrix? Let me see the hands. Okay, so for those who haven't, oh, the hands are like slowly going. Like, uh, maybe, is it, is it a sin? I don't know. Shall I raise my hand? <laughs> Will I be judged? Is it frowned upon? No, it's not. By the way, so many people believe like being worldly Christian means like going to movies or doing dances or like, I don't know, having a beer with a friend. We're not talking about that. Please go have your beer with your friend if you like beer. I don't know how you drink that stuff. I don't care. It just makes me pee a lot. I tried. Not enjoyable. Yeah. But it's not that. We're not talking about this. Yeah, somebody rejoices. Yeah. So, being, it's not this, but it's being plugged into the system, being part of the system, being one of the gears in the system. That's what it is. Remember the movie, oh, okay, I need to, for the, for the sake of those who haven't seen the movie, the movie Matrix is a, it's a movie that came out in, I believe, in 1999. It's, the, it's a dystopia. You, you know what dystopia it's, it's a, utopia is a preferable, beautiful future that they draw a picture in sci-fi movies. Dystopia is like horrible, dark, oh, bad future of the mankind. So there's a bad future for the mankind. Here's what happens there. People think that they live just like we live today. They have fun. They have built relationships. They have offenses. They reconcile. They build careers. They have fun. They have life. But the problem is it's not true. None of that is true. They're all connected with hardwired. They live in the little cocoons in the slime, slime kind of liquid, yucky one. And they're all hardwired to the computer. And they're used for the energy source for these huge computers. Meanwhile, this computer generates this fake artificial virtual reality in front of their eyes through those wires. And they think they live life. They don't. I, when I saw that, I thought... I thought, this is the best picture of the world. And, I, you know, when this guy, the main character, Neo, he's a programmer and he's a hacker. And he begins to have experiences that begin to lead him to uncover the truth about everything, about the world, about this conspiracy that's going on. And he finally meets some people who are come into the matrix, who are part of the matrix, but not, not of it. They're unplugged. Just like Jesus was. And one of them is Morpheus. And Morpheus talks to Neo, the main character. And he tries to explain to him what this matrix is before this guy is un really unplugged. He just finally realizes something is wrong with this picture. And Morpheus tells him, let me find it. Oh, gosh. Here it is. He says, Neo, 
The matrix is everywhere. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. First time ever I heard, I heard amen to the quote from a movie. That's awesome. That's why, like, you can't watch movies. In fact, some movies are better than some sermons, honestly. Actually, a lot of movies are better than sermons. So watch movies. Good, find good movies. Ask me. I'll give you a list of good movies to watch. Your soul will be cleared and you will cry. But those are, well, anyway, that's a rabbit trail. So, uh, and there is a very powerful scene in that movie when finally he's given a choice to choose whether remain in this matrix, in this lie, fake, artificially created lie, or to step out to be unplugged. And he chooses to be unplugged and he takes the pill. There are two pills represented, two choices. He takes the pill and finally there's a scene when he wakes up into reality. And it doesn't look good. And those cords that are plugged into his body all along his uh, uh, spinal cord, they go, pick, 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 pick. they're all unplugged. But the big one that is stuck right into the back of his head. There is a plug in there. And there's a big fat cable. And I don't remember details whether somebody helped him or he himself did. But there's a strong, powerful scene when this cord is just plugged out of him. And he is unplugged. He's not part of that system anymore. And that's a call for you and me. Jesus said that we are in this world. We're not connected. We're not plugged in. But the thing is, sometimes we go with the flow, we have this inertia, inertia, and we allow this cord to still be stuck into our mind. And nobody is going to pull it out, actually, in Christian living. It's not Pastor Neil, it's not me. It's you, my friend. It's your brother. It's your sister that you need to have it pulled out of yourself. And how it's done, I'll try to say a couple of words about it. And it's hard, it's painful, it's totally worth it. John 2, 15, 17, he speaks about the world. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What does it mean? Does it mean God doesn't love me? No, it doesn't mean that. It means that your experience and realization of God's true nature and love is very, very limited in your life. You have little glimpses, little grains, little crumbles. They're good. I know they're good. But there's more for you. There's so much more for you. Let's keep on reading. And I already told you, like, what does it mean, like, not to love the things of the Lord? Like, I don't watch movies anymore. I watch Ohio game? Ohio State game? Huh? Maybe. If that's your reaction, maybe you need to unplug from that too for a while. I don't know. No, no, Jason says, no, 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 that's heresy. <laughs> yeah, I know, in Ohio it's heresy, I know, I'm sorry. No, that was funny, guys, I have to take this rabbit trail. When I moved from Russia, I had no clue, so when I was in charge of planning different things for church, I almost made a huge mistake. I almost planned a big event during the time of the game of Ohio State. That is the stupidest thing you can do as a pastor in Ohio State. When, when you would have a crowd worshiping Jesus in the middle of the game, that probably means it's a revival and Jesus is going to come any minute now. <laughs> so you watch, you watch the crowds. All, all right. Yeah. Okay. So once again, the world is a system. Oh, no, no, no. I haven't finished reading this one. Uh, verse 16 says, For all that is in the world, and that's a hint for us, though all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. 
And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So there are two choices, actually. You can pursue the things that the world offers you to satisfy your needs and desires. And there are legitimate needs in us. Like popular psychology tells us there are basic needs, physiological, there are some psychological needs, there are like higher needs of like self-realizing your potential, becoming creative, having friends, having loved, having belonging to someone. All of those needs are legitimate, but you have a choice of whether to have them met and satisfied by the ways the world offers you or to make God your direct source of satisfying you. Bypass this system. And that's the only true way. That's the only proper way. Bypass that system. If you need validation in your life, receive it from the Lord. Do not seek it from people. If you need praises and approval, receive it from the Lord. Don't seek it from the people. If you need distance from people in order to be comfortable and maintain your peace of mind, resist it. Ask the Lord. And He might put you to people's life that you don't want to be next to. Because you're becoming what? A sacrifice. How does it look like uh, I did this message? And I'm, this message is not very focused. But I'm, I'm really trying to communicate something to you. And it's kind of a lost art in many churches today. They don't, unfortunately, we don't talk much about consecration anymore. We don't talk about those decisions. We don't talk about therefore. And I'm ourself is afraid to talk about therefore messages unless I make sure the gospel is presented clear, clearly. So... And the world is like a big Las Vegas. I've never been to Las Vegas. I've seen movies with Las Vegas. But it, my, my picture is like, it's all glittery. There are lights and a lot of noises and music and shows and lights and games and gambles and machines and this and that. And woo! So it's like a bigger, bigger, bigger version of Las Vegas that offers you all kinds of ways. Custom made for you, my friend. I recently, I took a test, psychological test. We love psychological tests, right? Because they're about us. And we learn things about us. You know, as a Christian, if you, it's good to learn things about you. But as you grow, what do you do with this knowledge? A Christian way to do something with this knowledge is to know what to re reject sometimes. To know what to deny sometimes. To know how to not let your wonderful sense of humor manifest in the spur of the moment like you do all the time. But rather, keep your mouth quiet for a few seconds or minutes or maybe an hour. You know, different people wire differently. Like one sister in this church asked me, like, Dennis, how does it look like to be unplugged from the world? And I said, for you, it's going to be very different than for me. <clears throat> she, she's more of an introvert. So I said, for you... That would probably mean to sacrifice your peace of mind and your stability and not to keep people like that, but actually come into people. For me, I love to be the center of attention. You see that. But, you know, God is using that. But sometimes when I know, I check with the Lord and He said, keep quiet. Keep quiet. And many, many times in my life I heard, keep quiet. Because my natural tendency would be to say something. I would be triggered because I'm number eight in Enneagram. 
Ooh. Sometimes you need to crucify your eight in Enneagram. Well, my love language is this. Well, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to demand this language to be spoken by everybody around you? Or are you going to learn other people's love languages so that you would speak this language? Don't demand your needs to be met by people. Come to the Lord. Bypass the Word. Bypass the crowds. Bypass your groups. Bypass your churches. Bypass anything. Come to Him. Receive it directly from Him. Please. And the best way to learn to do it is to unplug that thing. And this is to present yourself as a sacrifice. And the sacrifice for us, for modern people in 20th century, it's, it's a figure of speech, really. It's a spiritual language. We talk about Jesus' sacrifice. We don't really understand what it means to sacrifice. For those people, first century, second century, it was very clear. They all knew what sacrifice means. They all participated in that. They all sacrificed animals. Some of them sacrificed people. They know what it means. It's not fun. Paul flips the tables. Those guys would think, I need to sacrifice something for God to, to gain his favor. Paul says, no, 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 no. You have the fullness of God's favor. Now, therefore, make yourself a sacrifice. What kind of sacrifice? Living one. You don't have to slaughter your throat. But you don't make yourself the center of your world anymore. There are two ways to live for a Christian. Self-seeking, self-pursuing, self-promoting, self-centered life, which would still be Christian life, but very little eternal influence. And a life of a sacrifice, self-sacrifice. And that's decision that you and I can make, nobody can make instead of us. And that implies that I will experience pain and I will embrace my pain. I will not run away from my pain. I will embrace my pain. Because Jesus, when he came to this world and not being part of this world, he came for the sake of the joy that was set in, in front of him. But the way to this joy was through what? The cross. What is the cross? It's not a religious symbol. Please. It's, it's a tool of torment. A torture. Tortures, torment, torment, death. Jesus said, whoever wants to follow me, not just be the children of God, because I, I, I give this as a gift, but who wants to follow me needs to take his cross daily. Yes, this is a decision, big decision, milestone decision that you, you make once in your life. But then those, this, this decision is refreshed. On a regular basis, God, you have special encounters with the Lord, special circumstances in your life that crush you and break you and make you feel very hurt. And sometimes it's, a, it's, a, it's fine to be hurt. I, in <clears throat> 2017 or 16, I don't remember, I developed a full-blown depression. I never knew what depression is until I moved to America. I don't know, maybe it's contagious. I don't know. <clears throat> but I got it here and I didn't know it for a while and then I realized I have one. And it was pretty bad. I, I could barely put myself together to do anything. And I had a lot of inner pain going on. And I didn't know what to do with this. And I tried to talk to different pastors and a counselor and this and that. And then I, I am a scholar. I, I shared this story with, you, with some of you before. So I went to a library. I, bought, I, I got a bunch of books on, I, on depression. And I started reading the psychologist. And I don't remember. I don't think this book had anything to do with Christianity. It was some kind of a schools on psychology. And in a, in a 
introduction, it said, your depression is a messenger to tell you that you live wrong. My goodness, I'm so grateful somebody in that printed page told me that. Not a single pastor told me that. Not a friend of mine told me that. I needed that pain. That was painful to realize, but it was true. And I took it, and it, it became a, the beginning of the healing. There were things that I was doing in my life that were wrong, and there were ways I was viewing this life was wrong, because in many of the situations, I would put myself to be the center of the universe, but I'm not. I thought, I'm the biggest thing in this world. I'm the biggest value. Everything spins around me. And I'm sorry to tell you, that doesn't count, Neil. Many of you are still have this mindset. Many of you have the, still the same mindset. And that's what stops you from entering into more fullness. I know that by experience. This man knows that by experience. We stepped into more fullness. And I'm not bragging. We haven't arrived. But we have way more God in our daily life and weeks than we had before. He got crushed. I got crushed. Many of you got crushed. Many of you got hurt. Today this world tells you hurt is bad. Hurt is bad. Hurt not always bad. You need some hurts. When your bone is, was broken and mended wrong and crooked, it needs to be broken again so that you can function right. That happened to me. That happened to many of you. That's all right. I got, I got distracted. But let me, how do I get unplugged? Finally, let me answer this question and call the end of the message. Call Neil here. First one, it's part of the gospel. Let's read Galatians 6.14. Paul says, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing that you can boast about really. By which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That's the basis of your unplugging. But secondly, every Christian is called to come to realize and make a decision to get unplugged from the system by presenting himself or herself in the light of the gospel as a living sacrifice, by dedicating, by sacrificing your life, by becoming a living sacrifice. You don't die, but you're ready to die. You're not spent yet, but you're ready to be spent. You're going to be spent anyway. Spend yourself on a worthy cause. You're going to die anyway if it's in use for you. Die as a logical conclusion as your service of, to God. Why not? That's a win-win. Because if you spend your otherwise, it's going to be bad investment. I already said that the biggest cable that connects us to this world is a self-centeredness, egocentric lifestyle egocentric lifestyle and it comes directly from devil who is the biggest the who is the person who feels who feels the most underappreciated in this universe the devil he was the first one and he loves to fill his children with this feeling he loves to fill me with this feeling it's all about me what about how i feel you know we keep telling you that you're very important to God, but you need, some of you need to hear you're not really important. It's okay. You're very important to God. You're not really important for this world, and you will never be, probably. That's okay. <clears throat> when you die, within 20 years, a lot of people would not even remember your name. That's okay. Wow. 
It's fine. It's fine. You suck at certain things. It's fine. Some people are not going to like you. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. You don't make this world the source of satisfaction and having your needs met. You make God in the light of the gospel. That's basically all I wanted to tell you. So I'll just read this passage one more time, the one that I started with, Romans 12, 1, 2. And I would like Neil to come to the stage. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.